So good morning, Bethel. What an exciting and sort of crazy few weeks it has been. Just really exciting, sort of crazy. It's been a lot of fun, a little stressful. But once again, I just want to express my deep, deep love and my appreciation for every single person here at Bethel. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you, all those who have been praying through the whole candidating process, those who have just spoken such kind things to me, my family, and those that have been praying for me. I truly, truly appreciate that. Man, so the amount of love I got shown last week, you guys are amazing. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be able to preach last week, honestly. I got up here on the stage and something just hit me and I was just like a puddle and just didn't even know. But thankfully, I think we pulled it together and we were okay. But uh, I don't know how I even pulled that one off. But Sarah and I, we love you. We thank you. We are excited for the future. And so, we stand here today prepared for a new chapter. We stand here today prepared for a new chapter. A previous chapter of the story of Bethel has been written and it has been brought to a close. And in these coming days and even right now in these moments, we are beginning to put ink to paper and we are beginning to write out the new chapter of Bethel. So I have to tell you, I really sort of wrestled a lot this week. You know, what do I want to talk on? What do you start with? How do you speak about something at a momentous time as this? There's just so many verses that were just flowing through my head, flowing through my heart, so many topics and things that I wanted to talk about. But when I sat down and I really just quieted my spirit, I felt very clearly that what we needed to do today in this service is to simply set our focus. We need to set our focus. And so focus is really important. I had a roommate in college. He was a very intelligent guy. He was an incredible hard worker. And yet what I would have to do all the time is we'd be sitting in our dorm room, we would be doing work, and all the time I would have to remind him that playing Minesweeper in solitaire wasn't going to help him get his assignments done. All the time, we'd be sitting there working away, and all of a sudden, I would hear him like go, oh, and I'd be like, what happened? He'd be like, yeah, I just blew up in Minesweeper. I'd be like, aren't we supposed to be doing schoolwork? Focus, focus, focus. Focus is required in order to complete the assignment that we have been given. I don't know about you, but I've never had a school or a work assignment that just magically got done by itself, and I've never had one that got done really well without putting focus and attention into it. So focus is really important. And so that is my goal for today. It's to simply set our focus for this new season at Bethel to prepare us for the assignment that we have been given. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit of preview of where we are going to land this thing today. All right, so I'm going to take you to the end and I'm going to show you where this all lands. But if I do that, I need you to promise that you'll stay with me the whole time. All right, there's a lot of good stuff that leads up to this, but I am going to give you the ending today where we need to keep our focus, and it is this. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, that's a shocker, right? Wow, ooh, look at that. What a shocker. But I think this is actually really important for us to call out this morning. It's important in the time of transition because the kingdom assignment that we have been given is so much bigger than any man or woman. It's bigger and it's greater than a pastor. It's about Jesus 
and it's about him being exalted. It's about partnering with him to see people's lives changed, to see our community impacted and changed. It's about glorifying that name that is above all names. And as we move forward into this new chapter, this new season at Bethel, everything that happens in this place must be centered around Jesus and Jesus alone. All right, so if you have your Bibles, can you go ahead and flip them open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 4 to 8. When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. So in this section of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he is bringing some correction to the church because there were a number of factions that rose up where certain people claimed to follow different leaders in the church. And here you see that some said they followed Paul, some said they followed Apollos. And so what had happened is that the church had aligned themselves to certain church leaders and was having negative effects on the unity of the church. And if the unity of a church is negatively impacted, then its effectiveness will be as well. It's a really important thing for us to recognize. And so Paul sets out to correct this amongst a number of things in his first letter to Corinth. And he corrects this by getting them to refocus. So instead of them being so concerned and so focused on which leader they wanted to be associated with, Paul comes and he says, what you really need to focus on is this. First, we are all just workers who are working together for the kingdom of God for the same purpose. And second, it is God who blesses the work and actually brings the increase. And so we're going to consider those two truths in turn this morning. And so let's start with that truth that we are all workers for Christ. In verse 5, Paul asks rhetorically, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? And then he goes on and he answers it. And his answer provides guidance. It provides grounding for any person who aspires to do the work of Christ. Anybody who wants to do the work of Christ, and especially those that get called into positions of leadership, the way that Paul answers this question is vital for us to just totally grasp. And he proclaims that they were servants of the Lord who preached the gospel and did the work the Lord called them to do. So notice, Paul says, who is Paul? Notice he doesn't answer that by listing out all of his accomplishments and the great things the Lord has called him to do. And we know Paul did some amazing things for God. Notice that Paul doesn't answer it by starting to list all of his accomplishments in comparison to Apollos to show that he was somehow greater than Apollos or maybe he worked harder than Apollos. He doesn't even look to his apostolic authority and call that out in these verses. Rather, he makes a proclamation 
that he and Apollos were simply servants of God. Servants of God. And that answer he provides was not meant just for Apollos and him alone. See, we are all God's servants. Each and every person who proclaims Jesus as their Savior and has been born again can say, I am a servant of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect that's not a popular thing in the world's view. I don't think people are out there bragging about being a servant when you consider the thoughts of the world. And if you look at the testimony of history, you see all throughout history where you had kings who oftentimes were assassinated by family members or people they thought that were their friends because they wanted that position, all the way up to the modern times we live in where you have the corporate ladder where everybody's stepping on each other to try to get ahead. The idea of being a servant, the idea of taking the low position is not necessarily held in high esteem in the world's view. It's not a popular view in the world to call yourself a servant. But we know that the kingdom works a little bit differently than the world does. See, the world says we should desire to be served, and Christ says we should desire to serve. See, in the world, greatness is often measured by the number of people that are serving you, but in the kingdom, greatness is measured by the number of people you are willing to serve. Notice how God just turns it completely upside down. You talk to somebody in the world, that's, they're all about, oh, I want to be at the top and I want to have all these people under me and I want them to serve me. That is how I know I really made it. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 that's not how it works in the kingdom. If you want to know if you made it in the kingdom, then tell me how many people you're willing to get down and wash their feet. How many people are you willing to serve? We've been called to serve. Jesus says, you want to be great in my kingdom? Then humble yourself and be willing to serve others. And that is how you can achieve greatness in the kingdom. We are called to serve. And that applies to all who are part of Christ's church. We are called servants of God. Now, we need to be careful here because that truth must be viewed properly through the lens that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. That our lives were valued at the very cost of Jesus. And God said, I'm willing to pay. See, it's important that we as the church obtain our value, not from what we do, but from who we are. Our value doesn't come from anything that we do. Our value comes because God looked at our lives and said, your life is as valuable as the life of my son. He paid a high cost. And so we must recognize that truth because it's out of the security of knowing our value and who we are in Christ that we can then dispel the world's notion of receiving value from what we do. And if we're able to dispel this notion of receiving value from what we do, then we will be willing to do anything that God calls us to do. But what you'll find is if you still try to find your value in what you do, then it's going to be a little bit hard when it's time to wash someone's feet, hypothetically speaking. Right, Because you may look at it and you say, well, if I do that, that means that I'm not very valuable. It's not an important job. What, what am I doing this for? But if you get your value from Jesus and Jesus alone, then there's nothing that is too low for you to do for him. Because we're valued at his price. See, this applies universally to all believers. But the stakes are also increased 
when someone is placed in a position of leadership and authority. See, a leader is not someone who barks orders at people from the back. Rather, a leader is someone who walks beside those whom God has called them to lead. A leader is not someone who simply tells others what to do, but rather someone who shows them what to do. See, there's no true leadership outside of servant leadership that Christ demonstrated on this earth. It's the only true valid type of leadership. We are servants of the Lord. Servants of the Lord. Each one of us has work that God has called us to do. We're probably all familiar with Ephesians 2.10, but it tells us that we are the work of Christ's hands. We are the work of God's hands, and it tells us that we have work that he has planned for our lives, things that he wants to accomplish through the work of our hands. So see how this cycle works. We are the very creation of God's hands, and then we go forth, and we're able to do things with our hands. We work for Christ. We are called to work for him. God has plans and purposes for each one of our lives. There are things he desires to accomplish in and through you. Specific things that God in eternity past said, I am creating them for this. Things he wants you to know and do. The Bible is crystal clear that we are not saved by works. We know that. There is nothing we can do outside of saying yes to Jesus that will save us. Right? The whole saying, I found Jesus, is a bit of a misnomer because the Bible is clear that we were just wandering sheep who wandered way off course and Jesus had to come looking for us. Right? Anybody else? I know I was. I wandered way off. See, the phrase, I found Jesus, would be like saying we are a sheep that wandered three miles from the flock. We're completely lost. We don't know where we're at. And then Jesus shows up and taps us on the back. And we turn around and we say, hey, Jesus, I found you. No, we have wandered off and he came and he found us. The only thing we add to salvation is a simple yes. It's simply saying, I say yes to everything you have done. So he saved us. And while we aren't saved by works, we are most certainly saved unto works. To accomplish things for his kingdom. If we want to make an impact, there are things we need to do. If Bethel wants to make an impact in our community, then there are things we need to do. Think about it this way. A farmer who doesn't plant seed shouldn't expect much in the way of a harvest. That makes sense, right? But here's the second piece to that. A farmer who doesn't plant seed should not then turn around and ask God to bless the harvest. In other words, the farmer shouldn't just be lazy and not do anything and then expect the blessing of God to just come and make up for his laziness. We should never see prayer as the substitute for a lack of working in the fields. We need to be active reaching out to our community, active in reaching out to people who need to know Jesus, reaching out to our neighbors, friends, unsaved loved ones. We need to be active Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. Prayer is vital. Prayer is foundational. So if you've been here for a while, you know my passion about praying over this community. If you go straight out those doors, you're going to see a big poster with a map of Littlestown. All around Adopt a Street. If you've adopted a street, thank you. Keep praying for that street. The weather is nice. I would encourage you to go visit that street. Walk it. Drive it. Pray for it. If you're here and you haven't adopted a street and you would like to, we have just like 15 or so streets left. 
to where we will have every single street in this community covered in prayer. So you can adopt one today. So prayer is vital. It's absolutely foundational. So just like you shouldn't simply pray without doing the work, it's just as wrong to do the work without praying. So prayer changes things. And prayer is to set the stage and provide covering for when we put our hands to do the work. We need to get out in our community and we need to do the work. We're going to figure out some new ways to do that. God is going to open doors. I believe it with all my heart. We are going to get out into this community to do some work. And as we complete the work, this is very important. It is to be done in a spirit of unity. So let's jump down to verse 8. He says, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. We must work together with the same purpose. See, this is saying there must be unity in the church. Paul says there is one who comes and they plant the seed and then there's another who comes after them and waters the seed. They both have the same purpose. Purpose, and that is to see the seed grow into a plant so that ultimately we can see a harvest. They are unified in their mission. Unity is one of the most important pieces in setting a foundation upon which God can do some amazing things. See, there are foundational things that I believe must be in place in order for God to do everything that He wants to do. Next week, we're going to start a seven-week series where we're just looking at foundational truths. We're going to start setting some foundation for where I believe God wants to take us. So there are foundational things that need to be in place, and unity is one of them. See, I'm not saying that if there's disunity in a church that God can't do something. He's God. He can do anything. But I oftentimes believe he won't. Because if you have a church that's not walking in unity then how are they to receive from God? Because whatever they receive will probably just cause a lack of unity even more and cause even more division. A unified church, however, is positioned to receive and go further. Think about the believers after Christ's death and resurrection. It says they were awaiting the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it says that they were together in one place. Some translations say they were in one accord. The point being, they were unified They were unified, and when they were unified, the Holy Spirit showed up in power. Disunity, it's like a crack in the foundation of a building. There's only so much that that building can withstand before the crack is going to expand and you potentially have a collapse. Think about it this way. If you want to build a big, massive building, a skyscraper, you got to get a nice, solid foundation in place. You need a strong foundation if you want to build something big. Man, let's get those foundational things in place here at Bethel so that God can build something massive here, so that he can do something huge. And so what does this look like? How do we achieve unity? Ephesians 4.3 tells us we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So notice it's the unity of Spirit and not belief. Notice it's the unity of spirit, not theology. The fact of the matter is, in this very room right now, there are hundreds of opinions, some of them very different, and yet even in that environment, it is possible to walk in unity. Is anybody here really opinionated? 
My wife would probably say, I am, so. I've been told that I have an answer for everything. And that would be great, except my oldest son is a carbon copy of me, so I kind of understand everyone's pain at this point, so. But it's the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, even in an environment where people have slightly different beliefs and different thoughts and different opinions, we can still walk in unity because we can be unified by the Holy Spirit who lives inside each and every one of us, and not just because we all think the exact same way, if we walk in the bond of peace. We are called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And there's a massive difference between the two. See, a peacekeeper is somebody who essentially is just trying to maintain the status quo. So think about the UN, right? We call them peacekeepers. What happens? You have a country that's in complete and total disarray. It's a total mess. We send in peacekeepers who are there to keep the peace, though there isn't any peace. They're there simply to just maintain the status quo. Maybe keep it from getting any worse. But it's really just about maintaining status quo. We are not peacekeepers. The Lord tells us that we are to be peacemakers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And a peacemaker is someone who actively works to make peace and to bring peace into situations. Someone who actively works to resolve disagreements in anything that would hinder the unity of the church. We're not here to maintain status quo. We are here to make peace and set that foundation so that God can build something massive and big. And so thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to help us do this, right? Without him, I don't know what we would do. We'd be in trouble. The unity of the Spirit is amazing, though. The unity of the Spirit, when you look at the church, it's amazing because it breaks down every barrier that the world often separates upon. Race. Gender, class, political persuasion. See, what you see in the world is uniformity. See, to the world, we have to look alike, we have to think alike, we have to act alike. And if we do that, then we can be together. It's uniformity. But uniformity is really a cheap counterfeit to unity. And unity says that we can be who God created us to be, and we don't have to look alike We can come from majorly different backgrounds. We can be of different race and gender, and we can still come together as a unified body through the Spirit. We can be together in unity. See, now more than ever, at least in my lifetime that I've seen, now more than ever that I've ever seen, a divided world needs to see a truly unified church. Look at the division in the world today. The division of the world, it just seems like it's getting worse and worse and people are going to this side and that side. What they need to see in the church is a body of people who maybe we don't agree on everything, but we have one common cause to see Jesus Christ exalted. And because we have that common cause, we come together regardless of where we've come from and we say we are gonna be unified for Jesus. This is real, right? This is important because there have been churches that have split over the color of a carpet. (sighs) Churches that have split. This is for real. I'm not just making this up. There have been churches that have split and gone their own ways over the color of a carpet. Churches that have almost come to split and probably have over worship styles and music. It's crazy to think about these things. There have been churches that are just so internally consumed with internal strife and the lack of unity 
And they're so internally consumed that they don't even look outwards to see the world that they are called to reach. Wouldn't it be just like the enemy to try to cause division and strife in order to turn our eyes inward and cause us to be less effective? Church, we're not going to give him that foothold. Let's not give him that foothold. We will not give the enemy that foothold. Now, there's one important thing I do want to caveat here. Through the years, there have been some groups that have had truly heretical teaching. Right? There have been some groups and churches that have sort of risen up and they've actually gone against things that are cardinal doctrines, like Jesus is God, Jesus was sinless, Jesus was born of a virgin. So you have had churches that have come and they've gone against what we would call cardinal doctrines, things that are absolutely vital. You've had churches that have risen up and they put their stamp of approval on things that the Bible clearly calls sin. So even right now, there are denominations that are looking to put their stamp of approval on things that the Bible says are clearly sin. I am not saying that we must walk in unity with false teachings, all right? So please don't misunderstand me this morning. In those times when someone leaves truth, we cling to Christ who is truth. And then we pray that the Lord would open their eyes and bring them back. But outside of actual heretical teaching, we can and we must walk in the spirit of unity. Bethel, let's be a unified church. It's been amazing to see the unity in this body through this time of transition. And let's keep it going in the days ahead. And if there are any areas of disagreement, let's work through those so that we can be a unified body. We don't have to agree on everything, but we must be unified in the spirit. In the spirit. So let's be unified in the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ can accomplish everything he desires to do. So that was the first thing. Paul says you're focused on the wrong thing. You're so focused on these teachers and you're trying to align to them. No, 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 no. Those teachers are just servants like you and me. So that's the first thing. And now the second thing that Paul does to help them refocus is he ensures that their focus is on God. Because God is the one who will bless the work and causes the seed to grow. Some translations say he will bring the increase. So look at verse seven. He says, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. So that's the most important piece here. God makes it grow. He's the one who gives increase. See, I believe leadership is incredibly important. Having the right people in leadership positions is vital. Let me stress that. This verse does not teach, and I'm not saying that proper leadership isn't a vital component of a successful church. The verse is not teaching, and I'm not saying that Bethel should have, in this time of transition, just picked any random person to be pastor and just say, well, it's God who gives the increase. That person will be fine. I imagine I would have a lot of board members really mad at me if I taught that today because they spent hours and hours on this whole process. Leadership is very important. Paul tells Timothy not to lay hands on anybody too quickly, meaning don't appoint people into leadership positions without proper consideration. I believe this church is very blessed with strong leadership. From each one of the amazing pastors that we have, to the ministry leaders, to the board, and so many others, we are blessed. Leadership is important, but there is something even more important. And that is being focused on Christ as the center of everything. While leadership is important, in and of themselves, a leader 
even a new pastor doesn't guarantee a harvest. See, I can tell you, I am so excited for this new chapter, this new season. I stand here this morning and I can tell you that I will give you everything that I can and I will serve to see God's purposes fulfilled. And I know the other pastors feel exactly the same way. But when all is said and done, the increase doesn't come from any man or woman. It comes from God. It comes from God. He is the one who takes the work of our hands, the planting, the watering, and then he breathes his life upon it so that it is fruitful. If we want to see a harvest, we must do our work. All the while we look to Christ knowing that he will bring an increase and he will be the one who makes it grow. We must keep Christ central. As I started today, it's a day to get focused for what we want this church to be about. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. At the end of the day, when we strip everything away, this church must be all about Jesus. He is the one we have to look to. He is the one who will make the harvest grow. He is the one who builds the church. And so the most important thing I believe that I can do today in this very first Sunday of the new chapter in the history of Bethel is to make sure that all of us have our eyes fixed in one place and one place alone, and that is on Christ. That is on him. This is about him. As we begin a new chapter and a new season, I have no greater desire for this service today than to humbly present myself before God and before you simply as a servant. And as such, allow us to take our eyes off of the pastoral changes and get them focused on Jesus. Present myself to you this morning as a mere servant of God so that we can take our eyes off of the servant and instead turn them to the master. Let us get our eyes on Jesus today and let's never change our focus because it's all about him. He is the one who is worthy of it all. And if the worship team wants to go ahead and come. As we embark in this new season here at Bethel, 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 it is the house of God. This is the house of God. As we embark in this new season, we are setting that as the first foundation, that Christ and his kingdom is the focus and the reason for everything that we do. This is a house of God, and we come to exalt his name. As we move forward with services, Sunday after Sunday, as we come together, we make hosting his presence, praising his name, and encountering him in power the focus of what we do when we gather. We want to host the presence of God in this place. Man, I know you say, God's everywhere. What does it mean to host his presence? It means we cry out to God for more. And then he will show up. I want to encourage you this morning on a few things. I want to encourage you this morning to be passionate during times of praise and worship. Can I encourage you to get out of your comfort zone when the worship team leads us? Can we just break out of our comfort zone a little bit? I don't say this to criticize, but I knew a pastor who, when it was time for worship, would tell everybody, I encourage you to worship in ways that you're comfortable with. And to me, that's just such a violation of Scripture because Scripture constantly talks about bringing a sacrifice of praise. It's not about our comfort. It's about praising God. It's about bringing a sacrifice to Him, something that costs us something. It may cost us our comfort if we raise our hands and we've never done it before. If you want to dance around here, you go right ahead. 
Some of you, you've probably wanted to dance and you're just like, what will people think? I will cheer you on. You are free in this place to worship with passion this morning. Every Sunday as we go forward, be passionate for him. Feel free to get outside of your comfort zone. I want to encourage you to come here to this place expecting that he is going to meet us and we will see the power of God every single time we gather. I want to encourage you to come to this place expecting that miracles are going to take place in your life, in your family's lives, and in your situations. Let me tell you something. I long for the day when the church after the service is more surprised if we didn't see miracles take place than if we saw one take place. I long for the day when we walk out and we go, hey, didn't nobody got healed today? That's kind of odd. I long for the day when we see God just doing what he wants to do. Jesus did not pay such a high price for people to walk in bondage and sickness and walk in depression and anxiety and walk so far away from him. He paid a high price to redeem us back to him. I long for the day when we just walk out of this place and we say, man, did you see what God did around those altars? I encourage you to come here expecting that those things are gonna happen because we're not twisting his arm. He desires to do those things. It's a matter of coming in alignment with him. I wanna encourage you that these altars are always open. From the moment this service starts to the moment this service ends, these altars are open. If you ever need to respond to Jesus and you wanna encounter him, come to these altars. I don't care if it's in the middle of a sermon. Come to these altars and seek after him. Let's get back to the habit of filling these altars week after week. Come on, let's make altars great again. That's the true MAGA right there. Let's make altars great again. Let's seek after God passionately and with everything we are. Let's not be worried about what anybody thinks. Oh, what will they think if I go to the altar? It doesn't matter. Go encounter Jesus. He'll change you forever. Let's just open these altars once again. I want to encourage you to come to this place with your eyes focused on Christ and let's allow him to lead us wherever he desires to go. Are we good with that? I promise you, I might be making some of you nervous. That's okay. I'm not trying to make you nervous, but we are simply going to look to Christ and follow the spirit wherever we meet. Come on, is everybody okay if we simply say, Holy Spirit, have your way, and then we give him the freedom to do whatever he wants to do, and as he does it, we simply follow him. Let me give you a warning now. If there's ever a Sunday that I don't come up here and preach, it's not because I'm not prepared. I promise you, I will be prepared. I love preaching. I love doing this. I feel like this is one thing that God created me for. So I love doing this. But if there's ever a Sunday that I do not come up here and preach and the Holy Spirit is moving, I'm not gonna go up there and be like, Holy Spirit, excuse me, I have a word I need to speak. Right, if the Holy Spirit is speaking and he desires to speak directly to you, instead of using a servant, then I'm good with that. And we're just gonna follow him wherever he leads. We're just gonna go wherever he leads. This is his church. We're not gonna grasp a hold of these things. We are gonna say, Jesus, you show up. And I know people say that, but man, I mean it. Holy Spirit shows up and he's doing something. We're following after him. As I said last week, Pentecostalism cannot be reduced to simply clapping hands and being excited. Though those are good things. I just encourage you to do that. 
But it cannot be just that. It has to be about allowing the Holy Spirit to come move in power. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He always turns our focus to Jesus. He always turns our focus to Jesus. And so that's why we are going to just let Holy Spirit do whatever he wants to do. Because he will always glorify and turn our focus to Christ. We got to keep Christ the center and the main focus so that we can encounter him in this place. Encounter his presence. And then we're prepared to take that with us as we go during the week. See, for many years, I had students in a youth group and they would be like, man, I wish I could get so-and-so to come here so they could experience what we experience. And I told them the same thing every single time. You experience here and you take it to them so they can experience it too. When we allow God to do something amazing in our lives on a Sunday morning, we then need to take that and take it to others so that they can experience the exact same thing through our lives. And so my prayer for today is that we would all find our place in serving Christ. That Bethel would walk in unity and we would keep the focus on Christ who is gonna bring an increase. And so this is how I'd love to close the service out today. If I could have everybody stand. Can we just all come forward this morning as a unified body for him? If you need to sit because you can't stand, grab one of these front rows. But if I could just invite every single person in this room to come together, just as a show of unity this morning. shoulders with someone. Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't be shy. You can ask Brian and the worship team to lead us in a song. And as he does, I just ask you to just pray that we would be a unified body. I ask you to just present your life to Christ as a servant unto him. And let's turn our focus onto him after Brian leads us. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.